0: keep Rainman Digital on the air by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging 1 to 10 dollars a month. Go to patreoncom Digital to pledge.
1: Warning: Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen.
2: This world has two kinds of
1: people my friend those who loaded guns and those who dig you dig we're trying to locate a donny wee boy he married our son's widow got our grandson with him you let it be known you're looking for a wee boy i will find you
3: with you, Jimmy, since we're in the neighborhood,
2: since you're in the neighborhood, go careful. Where in the hell are we?
0: All right, hello, welcome everyone to Weird West Radio. I am Michael, your host, and I'm riding on horseback. With David, who's riding Sidesaddle. Hello, David.
1: <laughs> side saddle. I will get. At least I'm comfortable. Yeah,
0: real comfortable. <laughs> real comfortable. All right. So today I am here to discuss "Let Him Go," a 2020 American neo-western film produced and written and directed by Thomas Bazooka and starring the lovely Diane Lane and Kevin Costner. All right. So if you're new to this discussion, to this show, you can find all of our shows, all of our past episode discussions on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search Weird West Radio. Be sure to give us five star reviews. It does help us cut through all the noise. And believe me, there's a lot of podcast noise. So help us find new listeners by simply leaving us reviews on iTunes. Thank you. All right, so the film has a running time of an hour and 53 minutes and is based on the 2013 novel of the same name written by Larry Watson. Kevin Costner and Diane Lane star as a retired sheriff and his wife who set out to find their only grandchild after their son dies and encounter an off-the-grid family
2: led by Leslie Manville. This is a film that relies heavily On intimate performances. Yes.
0: The camera doesn't shy away from unsettling moments. In fact, it excels in those unsettling moments. That's where we see some of the best work. I'd say this movie is extremely moody due to an exceptional display of mise-en-scene. Everything is strategically placed in view that aids to convey meaning. Enclosed rooms give off an impression of claustrophobic vibes with no way of escaping. Despite the many moments of silence, long shots that linger. Thomas Bazooka is a director that doesn't waste a single second of screen time.
1: And the amazing thing about Thomas Bazooka's performance as a director in this one is such a different project for him to tackle because Thomas Bazooka is actually more well-known for, like, comedy, family comedies, like uh, The Family Stone and Monte Carlo. And this movie is so personal. It just just is such a a deviation from his more comedic tones. I was really surprised how well he handled it. Yeah. Like,
0: I I didn't know what to expect, honestly. I've never heard of Thomas Bazooka. But I I adore Diane Lane and I love Kevin Kevin Costner. Costner. I think they're two actors that just don't work enough, in my opinion. They did such a great job in this film. Everything is about mood and introspection when it comes to this movie. And this being a neo-Western, it never pulls back from playing with those classic Western tropes. In fact, the director uses them in such a way that they work seamlessly seamlessly with the time frame of the movie, which is the 1960s. Yes. This is a time when there are still a lot of open spaces and urban sprawl had not consumed nature. And the inclusion of Native American or indigenous peoples was also fitting, not only to lend validity to the genre, but also used in a way of social commentary. Yes. So before we move any further, I'd like to get your formal thoughts on this film briefly and then we'll move further into our breakdown
1: my my initial thoughts about this film i was really intrigued by this film because like when you first brought it uh up to me i was like okay so it's gonna be a neo-western and automatically the two stars just hooked me right in because i'm a big fan of kevin costner i always felt that kevin costner was one of the the most underrated actors especially in Waterworld. (laughs) <laughs> well, yes, yes. I love that movie. I don't but, care what anyone says. But the thing I've always, uh, I've always felt is Kevin Costner gets a lot of bad rep because of the of the roles he decides to take. But when he finds the perfect role that he's in, his performances are just out of this part, out of this world.
0: I like to compare him to someone like Keanu Reeves, where we know what to expect. Yeah, from that actor but that doesn't take away from the enjoyment of watching them on screen. They have to find the right pictures that really works for them. Works and really. Once they do, it's going to be a winner.
1: It's going to be a winner. And like, then you pair him with Diane Lane, who is this coupling is so believable to me throughout the entire film. I believe that these two are like this grand two grandparents that basically just care for their for their family. And at the end of the day, the movie is about them dealing with grief. And it's, it's a really, it was really impressive because I went into this film without, you know, I didn't go in there with high expectations and I left basically going, my God, I wish we could see more of Kevin Costner with Diane Lane in other projects just to see what they can do. Yeah, because they're so believable together. It it feels natural.
0: Yeah, I agree. They're they're definitely at the center of this film in more ways than one. They're the reason why you continue to watch and not because nothing else isn't working. Everything is working in the background. Yeah. But they are so good on screen and there's so much chemistry between chemistry. the two that you do believe that they have spent a lifetime together. Mm-hmm. That there's an immediate rep- an immediate rapport between the two of them. And I will back you up even further, Dave. I didn't really know anything about this movie other than the fact that it's considered a Western and it had Kevin Costner and Diane Lane in it. So my expectations was pretty much not even there. I didn't know. And it's one of those movies that's always a pleasure when you push play and you're like, okay, this is, this is good. And then the movie ends and you're like, this is good. I cannot believe (laughs) I haven't heard of this film. So that sets the tone, I believe, for our listeners,
2: Dave. So let's get into this. I want to talk about the directing first, officially here. Thomas Bazooka seems to have started
0: directing in the 2000s, but then stepped away yes. off and on for the next 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. He didn't do a lot. I hope he continues to direct these types of pictures now because I do too. He's got an eye
2: performance sure you have Diane Lane and Costner but we all know that an ill-equipped director can make the best performers look one dimensional and rigid
0: he worked so well with the actors and the cinematographer that many times it felt like we were in the film there was an empathic oneness with our characters that we cared for and we cared what happened. We worried. We were mad when things happened to them.
1: Oh, yeah. And it, it also helped, dude. The one, I think, unsung star in this project was Leslie Manfil. Leslie Manfill, Leslie yeah. Manfill playing the, the, the matriarch of the Wee Boys. Oh, my God. That was... That was a chilling performance that she gave. Well, her
0: performance is part of the reason why it was so immersive because there was a sense of belonging, as I was saying, an immersive feeling that consumed the audience. And we felt like we knew these people and we were in the scenes with them. Yeah. And you bring up Leslie Manville, the moment that moment in the kitchen, because of that (laughs) claustrophobic feeling that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. There were moments like that throughout the movie, but especially during a scene that takes place in the kitchen of our antagonist. Yes. You feel trapped. You feel trapped. You want to run, but there are no exits. You're surrounded in a small kitchen. We all know because of Lynn's choices that you can make the smallest area look large. Yes. But that was not the intent. If the director chose to make the kitchen look large, suddenly the claustrophobic vibes would go away. So what does he do? He uses lenses that actually shrinks the kitchen. And you get this feeling that the kitchen's too filled and that everyone's too close to each other. Anyone can pull a gun, a knife, or anything and just kill someone immediately. Oh yeah. Without the other person even knowing what happened until it's too
1: late. The the hotel scene, dude. The hotel scene same where, thing. Oh my god, it felt like they were just all crammed into this hotel room and at that point, you felt so worried for the characters of Kevin Costner and Diane Lane's characters and then there's this monster who, in all honesty, she's actually if you look at that scene, she's kind of the smallest subject in the room, but Manfield's performance just makes her feel like she is all over the this hotel room, and they can't escape her, yeah. And at the, and by the end of it, you want them to escape.
0: <laughs> well, there are so many scenes we could talk about. But that moment in the kitchen is the epitome that and, the and epitome. possibly even the hotel room. But I'd say the kitchen because that really set it up. There's a scene in the kitchen that is the epitome of Thomas's prowess it was an example in my opinion of taking everything the director was working with the suspense that followed the audience as our characters were on their way to retrieve their grandson the suspense and foreshadowing led to that moment when we'd come face to face with a type of type of casual evilness that makes your skin crawl
1: it makes your skin crawl and
0: doubt yeah. your safety and i feel like casual evilness is probably the best way to explain the villains
2: of the movie because it wasn't overt evilness where it's like I'm gonna murder you (laughs) I'm a bad guy
0: there was so much vagueness to their intentions to their motivation that worked in a way that made this movie David and bear with me here for a second because I'm really anxious to see if you agree with this or not this could easily have been a horror film
1: oh yeah yeah no, no, I, I, a hundred percent agree with you because the vibes, the vibes of the Wee Boy family just gave me so many vibes of like the family from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know,
0: it's the off the grid it's family. It's the off
1: the grid family that basically there's no rules. Yeah, to them that you don't know what they're gonna do. They're they're unpredictable. Yep, and. The difference between the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, visually, you can tell that they're messed up. Right. Here, this felt so much real and more realistic because they just look like normal people. They're only monsters when no one's looking. Yeah. And that's what it was like. For me, it gave me the horror vibes. In any of the scenes that where they were doing things unethical you know like even like the, the scenes where they alluded that uh, the the one wee boy was uh, abusing essentially the, the daughter-in-law and the grandson right those scenes just gave me the sick feeling you know that you would expect in a horror film because but you're, you're not seeing blood and guts well that's that's why that's why I love
0: I loved what he did with this movie Thomas uh, what's his name Thomas Azuka? Bazooka
2: because it feels like he wrote this as a horror film and yeah. then he's like okay let me turn some let me change a
0: few things here it's almost as if he used a horror film template and then he changed things here and there to make it feel less like a horror movie in the way of uh you know background setting locations things like that but all the writing cues that create the horror vibe. In a film. That's what he kept. Because it, it was. Walking on eggshells. Edge of your seat. Not knowing what's around the corner. Or what's going to happen. As you said. Uh, predictable. Uh, unpredictable is the is the best word. To describe our antagonist. Yeah. There was an unpredictability there. That created fear in the audience because we didn't know what these people were about sure they built them up the moment the wee boy aspect which is the name of the family was introduced and you found out that people in in throughout the state knew of them and they all had these faces of you don't want to mess with them so everything builds into these horror tones that translated so well into something more grounded than your typical horror film in fact yes this is written a lot like a horror film but if this was a horror film i don't think the movie would would have resonated nearly as well because when you know you're watching a horror there are expectations when you don't know you're watching a horror air quotes suddenly you're fucked yeah you you don't know what is happening half the time.
1: Well, the, That was the amazing thing about this film. While the subject matter was really dark. You had these moments where. Thomas Bazooka was actually just. Playing around with. Okay well, how can I make. The audience really. Really get. Shocked in the film. And that, that moment. Where the oh, wee boys.
0: Stay away from spoilers yeah, as much as possible. Where
1: the wee boys. Where the wee boys basically overpower George, Kevin Costner's character and what happens to him. That's straight out of a horror film. Absolutely. I'm sorry. What happened to him? Yeah. And then to follow that up with the scene with the, the, the local sheriff visiting them. And just like what you said, where he basically says, well, you know, those wee boys. Yeah. You don't mess with them. Yeah. You leave them alone.
0: Okay, so what does Alfred Hitchcock do with his horror films that was very different from a lot of people at that time? He became the grand or the godfather of horror films for a lot of reasons
2: that's outside of the obvious.
0: A lot of people may not be aware of this, but he's the one who
2: started to build up characters before he started killing them. Yes. Otherwise, You don't care. It's the
0: reason why, you know, Rodriguez used those inspirations for Dust Till Dawn. And suddenly, at the end of the movie, we realize we're in a vampire movie and everyone's going to (laughs) die. And everyone's going to die. But he even used Alfred Hitchcock as his reasoning for writing Dust Till Dawn the way he did. He wanted people to care when people started dying. So how do you do that? Well, let me give you a solid 40 minutes of building up
2: these characters. Let's give the audience some rapport then it matters and you worry for them. And that's what the director did so well with Diane Lane and Kevin Costner's characters. He allowed us to get to know them in a very intimate way.
0: Yes. By the end of the first act, we get the idea. We get the feeling that they have a very strong relationship They are very loving. They understand each other's imperfections and flaws. And you see the way they interact with each other in such a way that we like them. Mm -hmm. And then as the story progresses and we realize that this isn't just some regular run of the mill. Hey, we're going to go look for our grandson. Suddenly it traverses into territory of suspense (laughs) suspense and mystery mystery in a way that no one expected. And now you're worried. And you're scared for these characters. That is clever directing. Yeah.
1: And the cinematography too. My favorite part of this mo- where I feel for me the movie turned was that the the scene where the Native American man is taking them to the wee boy ranch. Mm-hmm. And to me, it almost like the cinematography changed tone. It got darker. It suddenly got more grayer you know like some of the trees that they passed were kind of like dead and you get this vibe that basically okay something happened to the movie and, and there's a shift and there's a shift a yeah and that 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 scene was like for me one of the highlights because i i went into this movie thinking that it wasn't going to get in the whole, almost like in that horror vibe i didn't think it would go that route but then it started right at that point when they introduce Blanche and her family. And then it's just like this downward spiral. And it just culminates at the at the, the the moment between George and the Wee Boys. Well, let's talk about the actors a bit. You can't have a good movie
0: without good writers, and you can't have a good movie without good actors. They have to they have to be there. And Diane Lane, number one, she's the star of the movie. It's her film. Yeah. Kevin Costner is on that title card as lead, and he is in the movie throughout. But most of the film is from her perspective. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'd say 99% of it is from her perspective.
1: Oh, yeah. I would agree with you with that one. For me,
0: that worked that much better because it built on the reliance of each other. A woman in the 60s going off on her own and her husband, who's a former sheriff. It creates an additional tone to the film that is needed to add additional layers. And then when you suddenly realize you're watching a a movie that's about her, it also helps the audience with this perspective switch. Mm -hmm. And then you introduce the villains. Jeffrey Donovan, who played the. Bill? Oh my God, he is so good. He is. He really is. I mean, and when I mentioned casual evilness, he was the start of that
2: because there was this vibe that he decided to play this character with that was playful. He did not come off as sinister. He came off as someone who, Hey, let's have dinner. Yeah. Let's hang out. I'm going to show you guys around. Now we, as the audience, we can pick up on his insincerity, but this is
0: where sometimes that disconnect between the audience and the characters work to keep the story going. Now, sure, Kevin Costner and Diane Lane's character, they both understood that something was not quite right with this guy. Yes. But it was a different perspective than, than what we had. We knew something was going to happen because we're the audience. We're watching a movie, and we know that if this movie's going to do anything, something is not going to be kosher. And we're waiting for that other shoe to drop. And that goes right into the horror aspect yet again. Knowing that this character is not on the up and up, And we're mentally warning our characters. Don't go with him. Don't
1: go with him.
0: Don't go with him. He's smiling, but he's up to something.
2: And then we're introduced to Leslie Manville's Weibo character as the uh, the matriarch of the family. She is so scary. In a very non-traditional way.
0: Yes. You don't trust her. You don't trust her tone. You don't trust her mannerisms. You don't trust her body language. She is completely inauthentic. Not as an actor. Acting fine. As the character. As completely the character. insincere. Blanche. Everything she says is not what she means. Yes. That is amazing directing.
1: And it was amazing too because like at first you think Jeffrey Donovan's actually the 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 main quote unquote bad wee boy, right? right. But when you get introduced to Blanche, it's totally different. You can even see in the characters, the dynamics different. Even that character of Jeffrey is afraid of Blanche. Well, they all acquiesce to her. They acquiesce to her. She's the matriarch. And like, it it just like, it's amazing to me when I was watching this, I was so enthralled by the fact that Thomas Bazooka was able to just craft these characters so differently than I've ever seen and still keep on, keep me in this uncomfortable atmosphere. Yeah. That I completely forgot. I was watching a Western at one point. Yeah. Because I was like, this is just a really good film.
0: Right. Yeah. There were so many great things going on. I mean, just within the subtext, I love when things aren't spelled out to you but you get what the character is saying. There's a whole dialogue exchange about people leaving and how people don't yeah, leave her.
1: People don't leave her.
0: And she mentioned that her husband left. I believe it was her husband left at one point, decide he was going to go to Florida. You get the vague impression that she murdered, <laughs> she him.
1: murdered him. Yeah. She, she just straight up tiger kingdom. She, man, it's very hard. I mean, listen, it, Brian
0: Cranston said that bad is evil to play or bad is easier to play. Than easier good. Than, yeah. And that is that whole entire discussion and debate. We can go on for a couple hours on that because I don't want to say it's easy to play, but Brian Cranston's explanation was that with evilness, you can do certain things that you can't always do as,
2: as the good guy. And that's why it's so hard for me. When I go back and forth, who was the better who was the better performance? And I
0: will go back to Diane Lane and say, I think it was her. If you had to choose one, because sure, Leslie Manville was the was the was villainous and sinister. But Diane Lane, there was a subtlety to her performance.
1: She encapsulated the whole story, in my opinion. She
0: didn't have to say anything. She didn't have to to say say something.
1: And she you knew she was the center of attention to the point that I could tell that the theme of the movie was centered around her. You know, the whole idea of grief, it starts off with her losing her son. So, and her dealing with that and not being able to quote unquote, let things go.
2: I also felt
0: like there was some messaging on motherhood, you know, because you had, the wee boy mother. The
1: wee boy mother, the matriarch, and then you have uh, Margaret. Yeah.
0: There was something going on with, with those themes as well pertaining to family. It's almost like here's
2: an example of a a family that has imperfections, but there's love. There's love. And yeah. then on the
0: other side, here's a family filled with imperfections, and they have no love. And a sense of toxic... Codependency.
1: Yeah, they're not driven by, you know, honest love like what you see with uh, Margaret and George. They're more driven by control, just like what you said. Like almost like an abuser. Abuser always says, "Oh, I love them." Yeah. No, you don't. You just want to control them. And I thought that 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 was isn't a- love, David. <laughs> not not that that type of good love. Mike. I love That's you, I- and now do
0: as I say. Now
1: do as I say. No, no, that's not, that's not good love, Mike. That's not good. Love. Oh, okay. <laughs> but like, it was really by, I would say by like 20 minutes into the film, I knew, I felt that Diane Lane was the main character. Yeah.
0: Which, well, every, like I said, everything was from her perspective, the grief, the motivation. It was all about her. She was at the yeah. center of it all
1: and And the beautiful thing about it was never once did I feel that it was forced. You know, I never felt that Diane Lane was just eating the the scenery out of the other actors. In fact, but a lot of times in a lot of the scenes, especially with Kevin Costner, you all of a sudden see her and him as equals as actors in 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 in, in the sense of the scene where they're both feeding off of each other and It's still about Diane Lane. It's still about Margaret's story. But George plays so well into that story that when you get to the end, it's it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely it's depressing. (laughs) It's not a
0: feel good movie. It's not a feel good movie. Yeah. And I don't want to say much more about that because I don't want to spoil this. I want people to see it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would suggest that I would definitely tell people go see this film. It's worth your time.
0: The, the interesting thing as well about the way this film was was executed, planned out, mapped out, you had your obvious narrative, you know, you had your A to B to C to D, right? And mm-hmm. then the end of the movie. But then you also had a very intricate character arc as well for Diane Lane. Once again, showing the audience that this movie is about her, that it. Or it's from her perspective because she learns something at the end of this movie as well. She learns to be a better mother-in-law. She learns about her own control issues. See, there is, yeah. there is a, a bit of a contrast here between Margaret Blackledge and Blanche Weeboy. They both have control issues. They both are the matriarch, but one is of sorts, and mm-hmm. one is very dark; it shows the very different uh types of parent parenting, I guess if you if you will, so there's even a character arc there because she learns from her own flaws and mistakes by the end of the film and wants to make amends for yeah. the things that she has done
1: wrong and and the thing I really appreciate too is like she learns from it, but she still pays a price you know because like yeah I think if they were to just go. With a completely happy ending where the family escapes, yada yada yada. The theme that they were going with David spoilers. Yeah, the theme that they were going with about grief would have been lost. So I do really like the fact that basically she still at the end of this, you know, comes out learning something, but it still comes at a cost, which feels realistic to me.
0: Yeah. So yes, the writing was interesting, but I want to get into it a little bit deeper. But first, we do need to take a very quick break, and then when we get back, we'll jump into the rest.
1: Don't y'all go nowhere. Weird West Radio will be right back.
2: Want
0: more Weird West Radio? Get more Western discussions, plus some pulpy fun. Get more Weird West Radio every month. When you pledge just $4 or more a month, you will receive two to four additional broadcasts every single month. More movie discussions on the weird, strange, and traditional Westerns. Also, for you Spaghetti Western fans, we've got a monthly specialty show dedicated specifically to the iconic film genre of the 60s and 70s. For more Western discussions, plus some pulpy fun, go to patreon.com slash rainmandigital and pledge
1: Y'all listen to Weird West Radio. Wayman All
0: right. Welcome back, everyone, to Weird West Radio. If you miss any part of this broadcast because you're listening to us on Weird West Sunday on RM Channel 001, you can find all of our shows, past and present, on iTunes and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. But we prefer iTunes. You can give us a five-star review. It would help us out. Please do so. Do not be lazy. If you're listening to us up to this point, the least you can do is give us that five-star review because it does help us cut through the noise. And there's a lot of noise. The algorithms on iTunes and other podcast providers has shifted and changed over the last couple years. And it's become more and more difficult for indie podcasts like ourselves to cut through all of the celebrity casts that are now out there. A lot of them are shitty. Let's be honest. They're not very great. So we should cut through them anyways. Alright, this brings us back to our show. We are in
2: the middle of discussing Let Him Go. Starring Diane Lane and Kevin Costner. So the writing. Talk about this a little bit more. Everything was about the finer details. Yeah,
0: It was all very subtle and appropriate. The narrative was purposeful and was predominantly straightforward with an aim to draw the audience in and connect with the characters. The dialogue was used sparingly, Yes, and it was used in a very casual manner that it felt like a grounding mechanism more than anything. These were not larger than life characters with the ability to dodge bullets and shoot from the hip. These were characters that were very much like you or I. That was one of the most captivating aspects of the movie is that typically when you're dealing with Westerns of any type, whether it be a Neo-Western or a Revisionist Western, the common trope is the larger-than-life character. In fact, if you have Kevin Costner in your picture, chances are he's going to be that larger-than-life character. But instead, we get something a little
2: bit more grounded. And because of that, we get a more purposeful picture with multiple layers. The inciting incident was very effective. The first act was definitive
0: include the audience in on the purpose of the film. This is all commonplace. You would think as, uh, when it comes to scripts, so that's how you should write. Yeah, you should. But a lot of these things are no longer commonplace in today's movies. That's uh, all about spectacle and pizzazz and excitement. We forget the finer details. And yet Every once in a while a movie comes along like this where they rely on those aspects that have been tried and true since the Hollywood era began. There were moments as I said that obviously you agree with Dave that were written a lot like a horror film. Yes. A family son is missing and the trail leads to an off the grid family within rural America. I mean if you changed a few things this could have easily been a horror film a horror film so i thought this was a clever way to build out you know the world and create suspense and fear of the unknown you know utilizing that unpredictable behavior from many of our characters and then suddenly beating us that horror tone that
2: creates conflict subconsciously that it worked anything you want to add to the writing
1: Overall, the writing, I'm really surprised about the adaptation from the novel to here because it's almost seamless to me. Like I've i have actually <clears throat> I've actually read the book. Oh, have you? Yeah. And the book is actually it has the same tones as the film. And I think it co- comes off brilliantly. So the ability to actually adapt the book to screen is also something that I think has to be brought up. I think this was a really good adaptation of the book, was it?
0: yeah, well, maybe I'll check out the book typically i once I watch the movie
2: of something that's been adapted, I don't typically run out and read the source material, but I might check
0: it
1: out, yeah, I think that that that, that is one element I would add to the writing is like the adaptation it's very rare, it's sometimes you know hit or miss, yeah when it comes to adapting a book to screen
0: yeah adaptations <laughs> can really <laughs>
2: go really bad they and they typically typically they do typically they go really bad and listen i'm not a stickler
0: for perfect adaptations no, meaning no, no. meaning a 100% true adaptation from the source material in fact mm-hmm. many times that doesn't work because the mediums are too very different are both very different mediums. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of things in books that you just can't put into movies. It just doesn't translate over. So many times the movie suffers, but if you understand the messaging in the source material, if you understand the true story, a capable director or writer can adapt it and make it be as sincere as the film medium will allow it to be.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's, Honestly what you get out of this film is like the director uh, Bazooka and basically the writer do do the story justice.
2: All right so the reception for this film it grossed 9.4 million
0: in the United States and Canada. Isn't that much but it also premiered during the pandemic. pandemic. Uh, the film was released by Focus Features on November 6, 2020. It was previously scheduled to be released on August 21st but was obviously delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The studio spent an estimated 8 million dollars promoting the film, which is quite a bit for a smaller budget picture. Mm-hmm. Also, when you look at that the when you look at the fact that the film grossed 9.4 million and 2.6 million in other territories for a worldwide total of 11.6 million, Unfortunately, this film will never make its money back because of the pandemic.
1: Uh, Yeah. And I think that this is just an example of like a film being affected by the pandemic.
0: Yeah. But honestly, if this film had come
2: out before the pandemic, I still don't think it would have lit the world on fire. Unfortunately, audiences
0: just don't see movies like these in theaters. They all have that appetite for (laughs) the uh, superhero films. So many times movies like this, these smaller pictures, they're just not going to make as much as they probably should. So possibly the studio had already planned on that. Many times they know when they make a movie like this, that it's not going to
2: help the bottom line. Their other films, their bigger pictures will make up the difference. So uh, the critical response on the review aggregator uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the film holds an approval rating
0: of 83% with an average rating of 6.9. The site's critics consensus reads, let him go uneven blend of adult drama and revenge thriller is smoothed over by strong work from a solid veteran cast. I don't know if I agree with that an uneven blend of adult drama and revenge. Would you call this a revenge picture?
1: What is no. He, what are they revenging? I want to call it a revenge. What vengeance do they see? Exactly. There's no vengeance. Maybe there are notes of the ven, of the revenge genre. Tale of a revenge tale. But like, honestly, I don't consider this a revenge tale because there's nothing really they're, rev, what, they're avenging. What, what, what vengeance is there? <laughs> you know i think this guy needs
0: to
2: watch the movie
1: again i mean no not even like the inciting incident i mean the the whole more the whole idea of the movie is two grandparents who are trying to just bring back their family
0: listen i have a bone to pick uh diane lane she ain't no one's grandmother she's too hot <laughs> <laughs> listen i would be more than happy like come here Diane. is she married if not, I'm going to seek oh, her out.
1: She, she has to be. Nah. She has to
0: be. Nah, she's a free spirit, David.
1: <laughs> she's a free spirit. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh,
0: Gleiberman from Variety praised Costner and Lane's performances, saying they give it their all in a genre film that fuses suspense with honest emotion. Now, that's a statement. That's a reaction I could get behind. Yeah. That, that fits better than the last one. Barry Hertz from The Globe says a skillfully executed thriller that is narrowly aimed at one demographic audiences over 50 who like violence with their late life dramas but <laughs> succeeds <laughs> at entertaining just about anyone who comes across its dusty blood soaked path kind of uh-, uh I mean it
1: sounds like a that's that's a backhanded compliment, like Blanche. Yeah, aimed <laughs> at a demographic over fifty.
2: Hmm,
0: I guess so because you're dealing with actors who aren't pulling in the the under twenty or the eighteen to twenty five demo. So I guess that's not incorrect. That's sad. That, yeah, over fifty demo. I mean, it, it, it seems
1: it, like that's a backhanded com- compliment from them, and I'm like going. See, I, I would say, say... this is
0: a, a a filmmaker, a film, a cinephile's film, is what I would say, because you don't have to be fifty years old to enjoy this movie. To enjoy a film. if you're a yeah. film buff, there are plenty of cinephiles who are in their twenties and thirties that would love this movie. And yeah, in fact, that would probably be a better way of stating that comment.
1: And see, that's the thing is, like, I honestly feel that the The strength of this movie would have been the word of mouth that would have gotten for for from an audience that basically goes to watch it, sees the performances of the cast, sees the performances of the director, starts praising it, and then that is what makes people want to go see it. So, like, I don't agree that it's aimed at a, de- a demographic. I don't think that it's actually aimed at a certain audience. It's aimed at the, it's aimed at a, at, at a, would you say like an indie crowd that would make this film blow up by word of mouth? Hmm. I, I,
2: yeah, that sounds a little better. Possibly. I'm trying to find, uh, Ke- give me a second. I'm looking for Kevin Costner's
0: box office draw. I want to see how, <laughs> how much money he has brought in over the years. Over
1: the years. On a side note, on a side note, Mike, if you want to throw this on here uh, onto this, the interesting part about Thomas Bazooka's involvement in this film, he's actually slated to actually do Secret Invasion, or more. Yeah, I was
0: going to get to that. Yeah, that's interesting, right?
1: Yes, I can imagine him seeing what he's able to do here. With this cast, not not just with these casts, but with these characters, this type of very personal, very uncomfortable, you know, well, tones. Few
0: people in on what Secret Invasion
1: is. Secret Invasion is about basically the the entire world being invaded by the scrolls, by aliens, and being taken over. And superheroes.
0: It's an upcoming Disney plus Marvel series. Series.
1: And it's going to actually center around uh, Nick Fury Fury and basically him dealing with the scrolls and finding out that the scrolls have been secretly invading all of us and a bunch of the heroes have been replaced by the scrolls. And that type of uncomfortableness could really translate well in a story like that. Do you think he's a good pick for that? I think he is. I just hope he
0: doesn't get so consumed with the mainstream projects that bring in a lot of dough and garner a lot of attention and then he turns his back on films like Let Him Go. Let Him Go. Yeah. You know, I I feel like we're in a state in cinema right now where we are desperately in need for directors and writers like this. Yes.
2: And absolutely. the
0: good ones continue to get picked by the pole studios and many times they get swept up in these bigger pictures. And I understand they offer a lot of money and they lead to career advancement. So I get it, but I'm hoping he's more like say someone Guillermo del Toro who will do those big pictures, but he will always return to those smaller intimate pictures as well. Yeah. Because this guy is very talented. I'm an instant fan of his work and I I would hate for him never to return. But I will say the secret invasion news does make me a little more excited for that project because of someone like Thomas Bazooka, who is involved, it does make me um a bit more excited for the upcoming Marvel series.
1: I actually found I actually found the numbers also for Kevin Costner, if you wanted to know. Okay. Uh, as an actor leading Domestic box, box office that he has is $1,595,000,000.
2: Like total? total? That his films and that his first- films have grossed. So about $1.5
1: billion. That's over 36 movies. Mm. That's not even including any cameos, supporting. However, looking at his career trend, that's a different case.
0: <laughs> that's a different. Yeah, case. well, he's definitely not a huge draw. His largest movie at this point, and he wasn't even the lead in it, was probably Man of Steel. In the last, I'd say, in the last decade, I believe so.
1: Domestic wise. No, I get it. It, Unfortunately,
0: acting is a young man's game, a young versus game. I think older actors can play younger roles nowadays, but when it comes down to that key market demo,
1: you're going to cast younger faces every single time. Oh, every single time. And like, it's, it's sad that basically after 2016, his domestic or his box office trend just plummeted.
0: Yeah so I understand Unfortunately that's just the way things are With you know with older actors Mm -hmm. Uh, But I hope we do get more Films like this it is time to Move into our saloon For our final thoughts We're going to go ahead and kick open those doors We're going to swing them Like we're machos We're walking in (laughs) We give a little thumbs up to we boys We see some hotties at the bar as well Hello Hello I don't oh, know wait. if you want to mess with those wee boys. No, we don't. We're leave them alone. But then I see Diane Lane over there. I'm like, what's up? <laughs> what's up? I have a couple shots. Hosey on up. All right. So give me your thoughts, your final thoughts, and your R&B score.
1: My thoughts on this f- film is this is actually one of the most surprising films that I've watched this past year. Surprising in a good way.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the cast was fantastic, down to... The Big Three, which was done by uh, Diane Lane, Kevin Costner, and Leslie Manfield. They absolutely tore the house down with their scenes. And I'm glad you brought up Jeffrey Donovan. Jeffrey Donovan has always been one of my favorite actors since uh, his work on Burn Notice. Yeah, he's good. And to see him here, he's one of those actors that always plays guys that are villains but he's just he just has this weird charisma, this cool dude charisma that you believe in.
0: You know who he reminds me of? Guy Pierce.
1: Yeah. I think they're he's very, very, si- guy they're guy very similar.
0: And they're both equally good.
1: And that alone, that cast could have carried this film, but the fact that Thomas Bazooka just came it, came into this project and just hammered it out. Just basically took his cast and took the story, took the cinematography. The cinematography was well done in this film and hit every single mood and tone he needed to, to convey the type of movie he wanted by the end of it. You know, we're, we're talking about this as a neo-Western. I feel like this by the end of when I finished watching this, I wasn't watching just a Western. I was watching a film. I was watching it. honest to God, movie that you know i'll come out and say it diane lane and kevin costner i mean this was like i'm not gonna say it's oscar winning but nominated i could see nominated for diane lane yeah i'm surprised that she didn't because her performance as margaret blackledge was so believable
0: Yeah, it's crazy and it's And uh, Now that you mention it, it's unbelievable That she didn't get nominated Because I feel like her performance is Worthy of a nomination
1: At, at least a nomination When's the
0: last time we've ever seen Diane Lane Really be able to do this To mm-hmm. do something like
1: this And that's, that's why I feel that I think this movie was tailored To try to be Kind of like one of those films that Cinephiles watch and basically we say Hey, everyone has to come and see this The performances here are amazing and they're, they're Oscar nominated worthy, but unfortunately the pandemic happens. Uh, And so my score for this one is a 87. I gave this film a a pretty decent uh, score for, for a film. Yeah. You know, because like, honestly, I wasn't expecting this type of film when you first gave it to me. I was expecting just a Western Western with Kevin Costner perfect a stoic uh, Kevin Costner plays the perfect stoic cowboy but instead I'm more enthralled by Diane Lane (laughs) and and Leslie Manfield as Blanche she makes a wonderful villain
0: yeah All right, so I'm going to give this an 89% I felt like it was my type of film yes but also just a, a well produced picture Looking
2: at all facets, they they knocked it out of the park. Good writing, good directing, good cinematography, good acting. It all
0: worked together. We don't get a lot of films nowadays that you can say have
2: all layers of the filmmaking process knocked out or nailed nailed down. Yeah. What am I what were Jesus, I'm losing
0: myself. <laughs> all four Aspects or all aspects of the filmmaking process completely and utterly handled with precision. You just don't get that. Even Oscar pictures nowadays, that's the reason why you have actors nominated, but not a script. Mm-hmm. Or you have directors nominated, but not the actors. The actors. Not every movie has every level of it
2: completely hammered out. Whereas this movie, you get the idea that Thomas... Bazooka had a very specific vision for this film and he was able to follow through on all of it Diane Lane, best role I've seen her in in years, Kevin Costner very convincing so yeah, 89% I do suggest that everyone
0: should get out there and see it, I believe it's now available on HBO Max so definitely check it out I want to thank everyone for listening thank you David thank you and good night.
1: ...he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county, and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. You can go to hell,
3: hell, hell. (laughs) (laughs)